0: are listening to the brand builders lab podcast weird episode 146 and oh my gosh have i got an incredible episode for you Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Suze Chadwick, founder, author, speaker, and bold branding and business coach. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to create an epic brand, profitable business, get marketing savvy, and we'll help you find the confidence to step up as the CEO to scale and grow. Ready? Let's go. Hey, hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, I've got a little story to tell you. So I was on Clubhouse, which if you follow me at all, you'll know that I'm slightly addicted to it at the moment. And quite a while ago, I had watched a TED Talk by Dr. Joan Rosenberg. It was about confidence. I'll have all the links in the bio as well. But I remember this TED Talk and I walked I walked in. I went into a room on Clubhouse and there was only about maybe 10 or 20 people in the room. And there she was, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, talking about confidence and uncomfortable feelings. And I just couldn't believe that she was there actually on the stage and I could have a conversation with her. So of course I decided that I was going to ask a question and I asked a question about what the difference between self-confidence and self-esteem is. Because I do talk about this, I talk about in Bramble's Academy, the way that I have defined it is that self-esteem is that you feel worthy of going after what you want and having that thing. Self-confidence is you building up the skill to be able to do it. Now, she has a totally different way of talking about it, which I love. So when I asked her that question, she said, confidence is the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of your choices. So we talk about that in this episode as well. So this is not the first time you're going to hear it. But I think that it's such an incredible way to think about confidence. And we're going to talk about going through and experiencing the difficult feelings that help us to get to confidence as well. So I can't wait to share this episode with you. It was kind of m- mind-blowing for me. I could have talked to her all day. Her stories are amazing. You are going to love this episode. Before we dive in, this week's podcast episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, Admin & Co. Founded by Lee Doherty, Admin & Co. provides local, onshore virtual assistance and other specialized support services. Lee and her team work with service and product-based solo to small business owners ready to grow their business and free up more time for them to achieve a purposeful life balance. If you're someone who's ready to realize that you don't have to do all the tasks in your business, that you don't have the time, skill or experience for, then you will definitely want to connect with Admin & Co today. When you do that, you can then concentrate on the expert tasks you need to do personally to grow your business instead of doing the admin that is draining you. So if you're looking for an extra set of hands with an experienced admin manager or virtual assistant, You want extra support but don't want the extra responsibility of managing an employee, or maybe you want to feel supported and that your outsourced tasks are being reliably managed and delivered to a high standard. Then that's what Lee and her team at Admin and Co do for their clients. They know that when you work with them, you'll feel more organised, in control, less stressed, and overwhelmed. But most of all, you'll feel more confident running your business and feeling supported every day, which means you'll start and end your working day so much happier and loving your business even more. The best place to connect with Lee and her team is at www.adminandco.com.au or you can follow them on Instagram at admin and co and send Leah a DM today. And now without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. Before we kick this interview off, I want to introduce Dr. Joan Rosenberg properly to you because her bio is amazing and you need to know all the things. She's a best-selling author, consultant, media expert, and master clinician. She's a cutting-edge psychologist who is known globally as an innovative thinker and acclaimed speaker and trainer. As a two-time TEDx speaker and the member of the Association of Transformational Leaders, she's been recognized for her thought leadership and global influence in personal development. She's a Californian licensed psychologist And she speaks on how to build confidence, emotional strength and resilience, how to achieve emotional, conversational and relationship mastery and how to integrate neuroscience and psychotherapy and suicide prevention. Her latest book, which is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience and Authenticity, was released in February 2019. We will have all of the links in the show notes. I got mine on Audible. She reads it and I love it. So make sure that you go check that out. But I'm super excited to share this week's episode with you. I think that you are going to love it as well. Joan, welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast.
1: Well, it's a thrill for me to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Now, for those of my audience um, who don't know you, I actually had watched your TED Talk a while ago, which I'll have in the show notes, uh, and then I found you in a room on Clubhouse and I was in shock that there you were (laughs) in real life, able to answer questions and have a conversation with. Uh, and, And so, yeah, you were talking about obviously... Confidence and uncomfortable feelings, and all the rest of it, which is what you specialize in. And so I was so excited to connect with you. And I thought, you know, I always say my listeners know my mom always says, You don't ask, you don't get. So I jumped on it and I said, Would you be on the podcast? And I was so thrilled that you said yes.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I actually have a, there's a growing audience in uh, Australia for me. So, and uh, so, yeah. So it's, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> and, I lo- and, I lo- and I love, and I love, I love Australia and I love, so I just love the part of your the world you're in. So, um, and it's not just the the world, obviously, it's you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That's so awesome. And so, Joan, for those of my audience, I've given them a bit of an understanding about your background a little bit, but I'd love to know like how you got started in this because it's such a specific thing to talk about when it comes to these uncomfortable feelings that we go through and how we can have, this confidence, and also have a life that we really love, what was that sort of catalyst for you to jump into this type of research and work?
1: You know, I would say that the truth of it is it found me before I found it. Uh, So, I, you know, I I started out as a – and I talk about this in different places, but I started out as a very shy, sensitive kid, and I started school early – which made me that much more vulnerable. So I was small, vulnerable, shy, and sensitive. So what, is, what does that happen? I've become the target. And so mm-hmm. I also got bullied throughout. Again, I would say a great part of my childhood and well into my adolescence, or I would say through my adolescence. And, and I've suffered some adult bullying on top of it, but that's a whole different story. Wow. And, and so, and I didn't, I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like I belonged. And it's like, that combo is not a great combo for a young child growing up. And, and so I would, I would look over at my peers and I'd see them gathered together. I'd see them laughing. And it's like, what is it that they have? And I don't. Right, It's like, I want what they have. And I knew if I tried to go stand next to them that I still wasn't gonna get it. It wasn't gonna happen through osmosis, right? So it wasn't, you know, confidence isn't contagious. And so I had to figure it out. And, And so kind of the question that I wrestled with was I want confidence, how the heck do I develop it, right? And that was the question that, that I, you know, whether it was conscious to me or I pondered it at lower levels, it was always kind of there. And then as I, I, I ended up, of course, ended up in air quotes, for those of you who are listening, um, in psychology. And, and so in my work as a psychologist, especially early in my professional life, it dawned on me that as difficult as our thinking can get, and and contribute to a poor sense of well-being or no sense of well-being, I believe that how we handle, how we actually experience and express feeling messes, messes us up more. Yeah. So the second question that kind of emerged is: what makes it so difficult for people to deal with unpleasant feelings? And, and I kept kind of going along and as, and as I will say, as the decades went by, I started to understand that the answer to the second question about unpleasant feelings was really the foundational answer to the confidence piece. So that, so that actually in order for any one of us to feel like we have rock solid confidence or unwavering or uh, you know that kind of idea around confidence, it actually takes us being able to handle the unpleasant feeling emotional outcome in order to feel like we 're capable of handling life. The foundational piece now it 's not the only thing it 's the foundational piece for um, at the you know it 's at the base for someone who wants to develop confidence
0: yeah that 's amazing, and that was what really kind of got me when we were speaking on clubhouse is that I said to you, I was asking you a question about confidence and I love how you define it. Can you share with my audience that quote?
1: So, so the way I define confidence is it's the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome. So think unpleasant feelings, the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. I love a whole different way to look at confidence.
0: It is, and it's really interesting because I'm just going to go back to a couple of things that you said. The first thing is that a lot of people say that confidence is contagious, and you literally just said before confidence is not contagious. And so I think that the thinking behind that, I'd love to talk about it as well, is that when we're around other people who are confident and dare to do courageous things, sometimes it. Encourages us or spurs us on to also challenge ourselves to do that. So I think that that's where that kind of comes from. What's your take on when people say confidence is contagious? Why don't you believe that, and what are your thoughts around it?
1: Because it's internal. It's not an external thing. So, but here's the beauty of it, and this is this is the other part of it for me, and that is that there uh, you know again same thing i'm in, i'm in my early career and i know when people need to have confidence and and everybody else knows too and everybody says well you need confidence and then go ask somebody how to develop and then, and you're not gonna, you're going to have somebody go i don't know i don't know how to tell you that and and therapists don't even know how to tell people that so you know part of the thing that bothers my mind at this point is people are out in the field They know people want the confidence, but it's like they can't tell them how to do it. And the fact is there is a way there in my mind, based on the work I've done now, there really is a way to tell you how to do it. So first is you gotta be able to handle your unpleasant feelings. And I'm very specific, I know we'll get there, but I'm very specific about the the number more or less, and, and then what that means in terms of the foundation. But the reason it looks like confidence is, is contagious when, when you're doing a courageous act and then I do a courageous act is because I'm doing the courageous act. So part of the other, some of the other ways people develop confidence is, and again, it's not, that, it's not that you're confident and then you go do it, it's that you go do it and then you get confident,
0: Yeah.
1: right? So taking action is one way you get confident. So so why it looks like it might be contagious is because somebody's out there actually taking action and messing up and then going and taking more action. Well, when you do that, you actually gain confidence. And the same is true with speaking up. So it's not that I know myself and I'm confident and then I speak. It's actually as I speak and through speaking, I both come to know myself better and that's how I develop confidence. And I will tell you, Suzanne, that if the if the foundation for me was not the eight unpleasant feelings I always talk about, then speaking up would be the the singular way that people will develop the most confidence. I love
0: that. We are going to dive into the eight things I just want to ask. So with speaking up, I always say that a lot of times um, the people that I work with, or my listeners or my clients there's a lot of, I guess, either imposter syndrome or there's a lack of confidence because they're constantly listening to everybody else. It's like, you know, they've got all of these voices, they're consuming everybody else's content. And so now they're in that comparison and then they don't feel kind of like, you know, there's that imposter, I'm not that good. And so that whole thing of listening to yourself or speaking up, that does that really come from you blocking out the noise and listening to your own voice and finding
1: what is unique to you
0: to be able to share? When you talk about speaking up, is that what
1: you mean? When I'm talking about speaking up, I want somebody to feel like they have the ease with which to speak in any given moment they choose to. Okay. And, and but there's a caveat around this. It, positive, kind, well-intentioned. So just because you can speak does not give you the right to be malicious yeah. or me. So it, for me, that those three things, positive, kind, well-intended, are, are part of the speaking. So which means that if I want to go to you and ask for a raise, I can go to you and ask for a raise. It also means that if I'm having a conflict with you, that I can come to you as a supervisor and say, hey, supervisor, I'm having a conflict. Or, or I can go to my colleague, or I can go to my loved one. And with my loved one, I can look at, or anybody, I can say, you know what, that disappointed or that made me angry. Yeah. And let's, work, let's work it out. And it also means I love you and I would love to spend more time with you. Yeah. Right? So it's the whole continuum. It's not just unpleasant stuff I want somebody to be able to say. I want to be able to say, you're, you're pretty fun. I want to spend more time with you. Right. Um so it's the ability to do that as well. That's what speaking with ease means. I can I can share my perspective and my truth in a way that um just it allows me to be free and connected, authentic and genuine. And that's what allows us to be authentic. Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. Now in the 90 seconds to a life you love, how to turn difficult feelings into rock solid confidence, which is your book. And I love it. And we'll have all the links. I got mine on Audible because as my audience knows, I love to go walking and listening to great books. Um, You do go into the one choice, the eight feelings, the 90 seconds. Uh, And so I'd love to work through that with you, uh, during this conversation. Cause I know that, you know, my audience, oh, I talk about, you know, I guess getting confident a lot and how we can be courageous and take those actions so that we can build that confidence. So that's why I was so excited to speak to you about it. I know you speak about this all the time. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it's like, it's okay. It's, it's playing the lead song. It's all right. Awesome. Okay, okay great.
0: So the first thing I do want to talk about is the uncomfortable feelings, because I think that that's something that is, that people are just so resistant again, like, like we're never going to run towards uncomfortable feelings. We're never going to run towards things that are difficult. And right. so what have you found is kind of that catalyst or that moment where people are like, okay, okay let's do this like let's get into the uncomfortable feelings and we'll go through them in a minute but do you find that people get to a point at all where they're like I'm ready for this or is it that they discover it and then they just do it what do you well, so thoughts it's a
1: little it's a little bit of both I mean uh, lots of times I think people bump but they have a certain set of problems and what they don't realize is the problem is actually so solvable if they actually would deal with their unpleasant feelings yeah. so the people get lost in distractions right? And, and for me, that's I, in the book, I talk about 35 different distractions. So everything from shopping, to food, to social media, to pornography, to sex, to anxiety, to harsh self-criticism, to um, geographical moves, to, uh, let's see, what uh, having feelings about having feelings, right? That's what, that's seven or eight I just named yeah. right off the bat, right? And so drug and drug and alcohol, right? So, so all of those are distractions. What are we distracting from? We're distracting from our core experience, mostly of what we're feeling, but some of what we also are thinking, because we're all that is in an effort to try not to know what we know.
0: Yeah, and we're doing that all day, every day, a lot of the time as well, oh, but
1: right? So, so actually. What bumped up against us, and if we contextualize this around the time of uh, COVID, what COVID did is it sheltered everybody, and now they had to deal with stuff because they didn't have the, or they were invited to deal with stuff because they didn't have the same number of distractions. So it, it, the, the quieting actually had, um, oh look, stuff is surfacing that needs to be dealt with. So, yeah. but but that but my my thinking is is that that when people realize that that's what they're avoiding and that they're, they're doing engaged in all these distractions and, and all they're doing is layering basically one problem on top of the next problem because they won't deal with what they're feeling and they won't deal with what they're thinking, then they come back to actually dealing with it. And the other thing for me around this also, Suzanne, is that, that um, when we cut off from feeling, we cut off from our sense of aliveness and we cease to live authentically and genuinely in the world. So we've got, we've got to make a place for the whole range of what we feel. And, and that unpleasant feelings actually exist for the purpose of protection in our life. So if we cut off that, that 50% or more of what we feel, there's no way for us to feel a sense of wholeness, W-H-O-L-E, wholeness, Right. That that sense of I have a solid self. There's no way to feel that, and there's no way to live genuinely in the world.
0: And from your experience, <laughs> I feel like less people are there than more people. Like, do you think
1: that does it
0: come with age? Does it come with experience? Does it come with enlightenment? Like where like where do you think it kind of comes from? Where where people might go, I want to be that whole self. I want to deal with this. Do you, like, have you seen any kind of patterns or moments or?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, certainly when people are uh, met with crises, crises are, I mean, so much, unfortunately, so much of the way many people awaken is through crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are others that say, you know what, I want to grow personally. What what can I do to, to develop myself? And, and which is far better and is the thing that I would love for people to do more of. But crisis is often the invitation, right? Um, I'm in debt from all the shopping. Um, I've lost my friends because I'm drinking so much, right? Or, or, what, or I'm, I'm, I'm too angry and it's spilling out all over the place and I'm losing relationships. So it's all these other things that are starting to, to, to splash cold water on our face and go wake up, wake up, wake up. And then we go, oh, I need to deal with stuff I'm not dealing with. Yeah.
0: Great. I've just got one more question before we dive into the eight things. (laughs) All these questions, Joan. I'm all yours. Go for it. As children, like I've got two kids, you know, you were just talking about the fact that sometimes we have to hit rock rock bottom before we come to the realization that this is something that we need to do or that we want to do. Right. How do we potentially teach our kids these skills, these life skills, so that they don't have to go through life blind, that this is something.
1: Right. So, so two or three things here. One, the, a child will grow. I like to think that a child will grow to the emotional range of the parent. Yeah. So, so if one parent is shut down and the other is explosive, then the kids ultimately have the options of growing to shutting down or growing to be explosive, right? And everything in between. I'm but just if writing parent, that down. Yeah. Okay, go for it. <laughs> and, but if a parent has worked on themselves so that the emotional range is, uh, is more uh, tempered and I, and I not hot temper, but obviously mm-hmm. uh, is modulated then the child is going to learn to do that too. So I don't, so my thing is I want a child to grow up in a home where it's okay to have feelings that you're having. It's not okay to express them in messy ways. It's okay to express them, but not in ways that are mean and hurtful. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so what, what's the single most, well, single most important thing a parent can do is work on themselves. Hmm. So that they learn how to be well-modulated. So they provide that space for a child to have the feelings they have and not to protect the child from the feelings that are difficult. Not to talk them out of it, not to say, I'm gonna give you something to cry for, not to any of those things. Hmm. It, would be, it would be, look, um, you, I know you wanted your team to win when you were playing soccer. They didn't. Um, or I, want, I know you wanted to get an A on that grade report, on that r- report that you just did. And I know how much time you put into it, right? Things don't always turn out the way we want. The single most important thing you can do in addition, or the next most important thing you can do is to help your child handle disappointment and anger and sadness and frustration so that that is the life skill that they carry into adulthood. It's those it's those adults, I like to say, it's those kids over 20, it's those adults I'm seeing because they didn't learn how to handle the, the frustration when they were younger. So the more a, a parent can both work on themselves, create the space for a child to have the feelings they have and then to uh, help the child deal with the disappointments and the frustrations and the sadnesses in life and the embarrassments in life and know that they can keep going regardless that's that will set the child up for success in adulthood
0: Awesome that's great. I feel like I'm doing a bit of that so I'm <laughs> I can definitely continue to work on it. right? But yeah, right? no, I think that that's, yeah, I think I we talk a lot about, um, yeah, how we feel and, and what happens when things don't go well. And we talk about, you know, confidence and courage and all the rest of it. So I think that that's, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you want you wanted so for me, it's also starting to, to link the messages together. You know, I want you to understand when you're able to handle disappointment as a kid, then, as you get into adulthood and you want to pursue things that are difficult, you're going to have the perseverance to, to take the risk, to take the risk in the first place and to persevere in the second place because you already know how to handle disappointment. So, mm-hmm. you know, son or daughter, this is a life skill that's going to make it hugely different for you as you get into mm-hmm. adulthood.
0: Yeah, and I do say to my kids as well, because I remember Michelle Obama saying this, like who you are as a child, you're practicing for the adult you're going to be. And so that's the other part of the conversation. It's like when you're kind, when you, you know, deal with struggles or hard things, you're you're practicing now for how you're going to be when you're older as well. And I always say that to my kids, like Michelle Obama says... Which I love as well. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jen. I was like, I had so many questions, uh, but let's dive into the eight feelings. Cause I'd really love to share this with my listeners as well. The eight feelings that we need to work through, and you're saying that we can do it in 90 seconds to be able to move through these emotions. So can we dive into that?
1: Sure. sure. Though And the way, so again, this is all an answer to the question, what makes it so difficult for us to deal with unpleasant feelings? So uh, the easy way to remember it is to remember it through a formula uh, that a colleague so generously named the Rosenberg reset. And I kept it because I didn't. I love it. So, so um, I I wouldn't have probably probably would never have done that, but he called it that. And when he introduced me one time and it was like, eh, that sticks, that works. Okay. So, so the, what is the reset? The reset is one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. And if you really need help remembering it, just remember one and eight equals nine. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) awesome, right? Okay. So, so what's the one choice? The one choice is choosing into awareness as opposed to avoidance. I want people to lean into unpleasant. Actually, I want to lean them to lean into the full range of what they feel, but I want to lean have them lean into especially unpleasant feelings. So the choice is to be as aware of and in touch with as much of your moment-to-moment experience as possible and you're going to do that instead of instead of uh, going into avoidance. So it's it's so what's the, what's the first step? You're you're going to lean into awareness and lean into what's happening for you. So you're going to look inside. The and 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 notice and be aware. The second is the eight feelings. And so the eight feelings that I keep talking about are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. And the first question I always get is like, why those eight? Because there are so many others, and I have reasons for why I did not choose any of the others. And why these eight? Because they're the most common everyday spontaneous reactions to things not turning out the way we want or the way we perceive we need. So it's the everydayness of them. Just think about how many times in a week or two weeks or a month, that you might roll through feelings of sadness or disappointment or maybe embarrassment or something. So it's the everyday quality of the feeling. So I'm not talking about things that are involving trauma here, though some of these feelings do get involved with trauma. um, I'm not talking about, about or something where somebody uh, has, you know, the, the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder, that kind of thing. Because, because when we experience trauma, trauma encodes in the brain differently. So, so, it's, so it's, the, it's kind of the everyday spontaneous reactions that I'm considering. And, and the last part of it is the 90 seconds part. And the 90, so the eight feelings I, I want to highlight here, the eight feelings are really the core of my work. The 90 seconds is the method. And and the method for leaning into the unpleasant feelings. So so what's the deal with the ninety seconds? Well, I was always looking for a way for somebody to to be able to stay present. And I kept on tell, when I was working with clients early, and this had been early decades of my work. I was saying ride the wave, ride the wave, ride the wave. And it turns out I was I was absolutely accurate. I but I just didn't have the science to back me. So in the in the early two thousands, in particular, there was a. a flourishing of neuroscience research that started to come out. And, and there's three or four things that they talked about. First, we're one interconnected whole. We're not, we're not a brain sitting on top of a body that has no connection to it. It's, we're one interconnected whole. The second is that most of us come to know what we're feeling emotionally through bodily sensation. So think if you're looking at me and I just got embarrassed. You would see the redness, kind of, in my neck and into my face, and I would be feeling the heat of the bodily sensation, mm-hmm. right? So, so that the heat is my marker for oh my god! I'm, but the heat is in my face is my marker for embarrassment, right? Yeah. So, so the again, the, and 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 what I found is that's actually the thing that I believe has people back away from feeling. It's because they don't wanna feel the uncomfortable bodily sensation. So that's what people try to distract from. It's not the feeling, the emotional feeling itself, it's the bodily sensation that helps them know what they're feeling, emotional. Mm-hmm. And if you get that, it's a, it's a major paradigm shift, if you get it, um, which is, oh, wait a minute, if that's all I have to do is to lean into unpleasant waves of bodily sensation, I can do that, right? It's now that makes feelings less scary. And, it, and, and the last part of it then is something that was an observation made by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. I take no credit for that. Um, she made an observation in her book, My Stroke of Insight, that when a feeling fires off, there's a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream that activate those bodily sensations. And oh, by the way, they flush out of the bloodstream in roughly ninety seconds. So if I could get somebody to lean into—and you've got again—you've got to catch the nuances here—if I could get somebody to lean into one or more, not just one, but one or more short-lived bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings. Then they could go pursue anything they wanted in life. I love
0: that. That's just it. feels It feels simple. It it is simple. Okay. It <laughs> I'm it like is. it feels a lot simpler.
1: <laughs> well, what what people have said to me is it's really the concept and the eight feelings are at the base of everything. So, yeah. uh, and that for me, <clears throat> that is frankly, there's such a, uh, and I, you know, I just I step back. Uh, and I have the wisdom to know there's stuff that came through me. This is not mine. I'm the, I'm the uh, vocal person for it. Right. Yeah. And there's some stuff when I step back from it, it all ties together really elegantly. The eight feelings are real, really where the core piece is, but the, uh, but you've got to learn how to lean into the feeling. And so once you realize, Oh, 90 seconds. So again, it's one or more 90 second waves. And most of the time it doesn't even hit 90 seconds. So, but so it's one or more short lived bodily sensation waves to lean into the unpleasant feeling state, right? So, how do you do it? You, when you start to realize you're reacting to something, take a deep breath or take several deep breaths, slow yourself down, lean into whatever's happening in your body, and just notice you don't have to do anything, you don't have to say anything, you don't have to do anything, just. Notice, be in a state of awareness. No judgment, nothing. And then, hang on one sec, and then then what you can do while you're settling in and letting that calmness be there as you're riding the waves, these short-lived bodily sensation waves, notice the feeling, and then you can start to be curious about what the feeling's about. What triggered me? Oh, is there a pattern to this? Um, And and then how would I like to, you know, do I want to make use of this feeling? So.
0: Mm, Okay. So my question around that as well is, is that, people avoiding things because they know that feeling's coming so I understand what you're saying that when we when we experience things we're in that moment and then we have that feeling just knowing that it'll pass in 90 seconds um, usually is great to know as well Is there, have you found anything around, you know, knowing that I'm going to get embarrassed if I go do that or knowing that that's going to be hard to do and just that moment or that choice to actually move into the uncomfortable feeling or do the task or the thing where you know this is going to be really hard? Like is there, do you find that people just get better at doing that? It's like, okay, I know this is going to be 90 seconds. I know why I'm going to feel like that. There's going to be a reaction that I'm having. So because I want to get better at that, or because I want to do that, I'm just going to be okay knowing that that feeling is going to come and I'm going to do it anyway.
1: Yes, exactly. And you know, you're going to, you'll look, this is how you develop that deep embodied sense of confidence. It's because you keep doing it and you keep living through it. Yeah. Right. So, so yes, I, I have two stories that come to mind. One is in the book and the other just happened today. So I want, let me share both. The one is a story of Paul in the book. And I I sat down, this is, uh, could be 15 years ago already. I sat down at a lunch with somebody and uh, it's somebody that was in his, I believe in his seventies at that point. And you know how people exchange, what do you do, what do you do? So I started to describe what I did and then he asked more questions and I described more. And then out of his mouth pops this memory. And he proceeded on the feelings. He proceeded to tell me how he was, Singing in his last, he was a senior in high school, and he was singing. He had two solos to sing in the in the high school singing concert, choral concert. And and after the at the event, his best friend came up to him and he said, "Dude, you you can't do solos anymore. You sang so flat." And he sang in front of two thousand people. So it's like now his his buddy is going, "You you can't do that. You were you weren't basically you were an embarrassment, right?" And and rather than doing anything about it, rather than talking to his parents, going to for more instruction from his then high school teacher, getting more guidance someplace else, anything. He he, he stopped singing. He loved singing in public and he stopped it entirely. Now I'm talking to him in his seventies. He's now spent 50 years not doing the thing he loved. Why? Because of one or more waves of embarrassment. It's, right, a travesty. Yes. it's a travesty. If you step back from that and go, oh my God, he stopped singing and it was so fixable and all it was, was a few waves of embarrassment or whatever else, then it, he could have spent a lifetime doing the thing he loved. Mm. The other example I want to give is I'm working with a, a student who's in her uh, 19, 19, 20 years old. She's looking at transferring colleges and wants to, in the United States, wants to apply to some of the top ones. Things like Harvard or MIT or Stanford, right? Well-known places. And and she's hesitant to do it because she doesn't want to get rejected. <laughs> So I said to her, and I told her I was going to get on a soapbox with her on this. So, I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm fairly, I'm very straightforward. And I said, look, I said, I said, you are going to, and she's read the book. So it's not like this is new knowledge for her, right? I said, I said, you are telling me that you are not going to apply to someplace because you're anticipating disappointment. So you're going to let... The anticipation of disappointment prevent you from limitless opportunities.
0: And what was the answer?
1: Well, we'll we'll see. she was working on the one to MIT yeah. that I know was going to go in, but my thing is, I want her to actually also apply it to the Stanford and the Harvard one. Yeah. Um. Because why? Because she wants to. Yeah. Right. And and so it's like go for it. But don't let the anticipation of short-lived bodily sensation waves of disappoint you prevent you from your dreams. Yeah. Because that's all it is. Uh, oh, okay, so you got rejected from Stanford, meaning you got disappointed by Stanford. Okay. Next. Next, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so, but, but so the message is clear to me. It's like, I don't want anybody to pull back from from the dreams or the goals or the visions they hold simply because it's gonna mean facing some kind of unpleasant feelings. No, go for it, right? They're short-lived feelings. It's really
0: interesting, uh, Jane, is that it's almost like, like what we make that mean for ourselves. So for example, if she doesn't say Stanford rejects her, Yes. What, like, what does that mean? It's, it's just, it's a really interesting thing. Like I always say as well, you know, we always go to the, what if I fail? What if it goes wrong? What if I get embarrassed? What if it's a disaster? And I always say, just stick a post-it on your computer or your wall or wherever that says, what if this is amazing? What if this is the best decision I ever made? What if it's more than, you know, better than what I ever believed it could be? I'm like, why, why do we always go to all of the disaster scenarios?
1: Yeah, well, because, because be, again, that's part of the way our brain is Protection, designed. Yeah. Right. That's the protective piece. And, and if you look at some other people's works, I think Rick Hansen talks about this a lot, is that there's a negativity bias. And, and, so, and why are we engaged in the negativity bias? Because the goal is to protect ourselves from mm-hmm. being hurt, right? Oh, okay. But we have to override that. If we wanna achieve any modicum of success in life at the things we really wanna be doing, then we've got to keep at it and, and be willing to tolerate the disappointments and the frustrations and the embarrassments and the sadness. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, so interesting. And, and
1: understand it short-lived, understand if we're only anticipating negative, it's faulty thinking and to not make the mistake of translating, I, this, this was a failure, this was a mistake, this was a not this way, um, and turn that into, I'm a failure, because that's then mm-hmm. bad emotional math. They yeah. are not equal.
0: Yeah, yeah. And maybe that is that kind of what this means. Maybe that's when sometimes people project that onto themselves instead of onto what they're doing that it, me, it then means that I failed if if right. I wasn't successful at that thing. Right.
1: And, and it's not true. It's yeah. just that something didn't turn out. And one equals one. Just because this one thing turn, didn't turn out, it does not mean many things didn't turn out or many things won't turn out. It means that this one thing didn't turn out. So it means this one thing didn't turn out. Oh, well, yeah. bum. Yeah,
0: yeah, so interesting, so interesting. I do want to, I'm conscious of the time and your time as well. I do want to just talk about um, you You say people think that life is happening to them and you talk about the reactionary versus the creative or life by design and I would just love to touch on that as well. Where did that come from? Was that through your research that, you, that that's how you think people see life is that it's happening to them rather than for them or...?
1: Well, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've been around a lot of people who've studied consciousness, mm-hmm. right? And the base level of consciousness is that most of a, most of us, when we start out, think life is doing something to us.
0: Yeah. So as in we're not in control, it's all just, all, everything's happening to us right, right. without any kind the, of what? Any control right, on our part? It, right.
1: Random, it's just everything's that, happening to us. And, and if you get into the studying quantum physics and doing a variety of other things or consciousness, then what you learn is that there's much more to life than that. And, and the way, so it, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, partly study, partly mentoring, partly, uh, partly life experience. And that it's like, so that the first thing to do is to start to turn what you're experiencing in life into not why is this happening to me, but uh, why is this happening for me? Yeah. So, so that the first turn is to turn something, everything, uh, my bias is everything, turn everything into a, a learning experience so that so adopt the attitude that every life experience can be a learning experience. Now life is happening for you, right? Um, and and the, the goal is to figure out, okay, what can I learn from this? Didn't like that experience. Don't want to repeat it. What can I learn? What can I learn from it? Yeah. Right? So same thing. It's like, or, you know, sheltering for whatever period of time, what can I learn from this? How can I use this to bring out the best in me? Right. So, so, so we can then start to now we're, now we're starting to engage with life. Mm -hmm. We turn, we make the first turn to um, again, uh, why is this happening for me now we're out of the to me. And, and then we want to start to have it work with me and then, and then kind of through me. So that that would be moving kind of through the levels of, of consciousness and and so um, the the I the part of the way I look at life is that um, and, and I, I, I actually uh, let me let me tell a quick story uh, if I can get it out it doesn't quick, have too. to
0: be quick oh good
1: okay good yeah I got the time so I, can, okay. I
0: can, okay I'm just okay. like just keep talking I could listen okay. to your
1: stories all day well, awesome well this one's this one's not mine. This one, my um, the person who wrote the foreword for the book, uh, Mary Morrissey. This is a story that Mary Morrissey tells. But this will get us into the the this life by design element. Uh, and and she tells a story of a bank, uh, somebody going to the bank and wanting to cash a check. And and the banker wants the guy to sign the che- back of the check before he hands him the money. And and the guy goes, do "You, how do I know that you're going to give me the money?" You give me the money and then I'll sign the check, right? And they go back and forth multiple times on this. The banker finally looks at him and says, look, sir, I can't help you. Um, there's a procedure of the bank. Um, you have to go. So he gets up and he goes and goes to the second bank. And wouldn't you know it, gets into the same thing. <laughs> he wants the guy to hand him the money and <laughs> and then he'll give him the check. No, yeah. no, no, it doesn't work that way. I, I'll save you the time. They go through the same thing. And, and the guy leaves in disgust. Goes to the third bank. And guess what? Round three. So now they're, they're engaged in the same kind of conversation. And the, the banker finally looks at the guy, reaches behind him, grabs, grabs a, a light rubber bat, uh, bat, bonks the guy on the head and says, sign the damn check. So the guy goes, OK. Signs the check, hands the check in, and the banker hands him his money. So the guy goes back. To um to the first bank, it says, you know, takes the money and is waving the bills in front of the guy, the banker's face. And the banker said, But I bet you still had to do the same thing. He made you sign the check before you got the money. He goes, Yeah. He said, Well, what happened? He said, They just explained it better. Now, in head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there is a moral to the story. And and uh, and again, I just I love Mary's teaching around this. And the moral of the story is. Um, life is the banker. So what's the deal? We have to sign the check. We have to commit to something before life says, okay, now I'll help deliver it. Mm. Right? So So that, and that's really part of the thing is understand, when we get that understanding about life, then we have to go take the risk we have to show life that we're committed to something and be persistent in that commitment or persevere in that commitment. Then life goes, I see you, let me, let me now help you out. So part of it is then understanding that, that, that life, and the, I think of life as dynamic. Life will co-create with us, but we have to be willing to get out there and to take the risk And to not have things go well, or whatever it might be, before life is going to come back in and say, all right, let's co-create. Let's make some stuff happen here. And now we're in a life by design. Why? Because we're pursuing the things that are meaningful to us. Gosh, I love um, that. You see?
0: It's so true, isn't it? It's so true. We have to take, it's like that. It's like, you know, it's like in that Indiana Jones movie where, it. where it's like he can't see the bridge, but he's got to take that leap or that step of faith and just know that if if I do this, if I believe in it, and it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like you want to take that leap or that step of faith and you want to know that
1: it's going to catch you. Sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't, doesn't. but, and then that's when we say, I'm going to deal with the unpleasant feelings Mm -hmm. that are involved with this and I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Right. And to, and to see that the obstacles or what we perceive as obstacles or barriers are a test of our commitment to the thing we say we want. Yes. It's not an obstacle. It's a test of our commitment. Yeah, You really want this? Well, then work through this one.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Oh, my gosh, I love that. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that story. Oh,
1: sure.
0: Yeah, and I do, and I just, I think that that is so important as well is is for us to acknowledge that because I think sometimes it's like, well, if it's not easy, then maybe this is not right for me.
1: Well, like, we can make up all sorts of yeah. stories. <laughs> that's what I've heard sometimes. It's like,
0: well, if yeah. it's not easy, maybe, maybe it's not the right path.
1: No, if it's, if it's not easy, then it means it's going to, it's going to grow you. So the, the whole thing here is that, uh, is that it's not whatever we're pursuing. It doesn't matter what the, it is, frankly, that is our medium for growth. Yeah. Right? And, and so it's not, it's, if it's not easy, then it's who you become at the end of that particular journey. That's, that's the most important thing that happens for us. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not even that we achieved the thing. That has its own measure of importance, but it's who we became in the process of getting there mm-hmm. that is the key.
0: Yeah. So good. I'm just sitting here and I'm just processing and absorbing everything <laughs> because I just think I just think it's it's such an important message and it's so important for us to have these conversations as well because I just think you know a lot of times we'll do things and you know I kind of feel like I'm a pretty confident person and I'll go after things and I'll be courageous but I just think sometimes it's good to just step back and kind of ask yourself or reflect on the fact of who am I becoming in this journey like what am I learning along the way What, what are the things that I maybe need to tune into a little bit more in myself as well um, when it comes to those feelings? And is there anything that I'm resisting right now? Because it's really easy to sometimes look at all the things we do really well, and kind of maybe not always look at the things that, that we would maybe like to do more,
1: but we're not doing and work on those as well. Right right I mean the, the 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 example that's coming to mind while you're talking about that is the first TED talk that I did I, I've done two and and the first one that I did you know I, I one one it, so there was a it was a process for me to kind of get there but the other is I'd never spoken without notes and, and you know and, and it was going to be kind of a complex concept mm-hmm. you know and how can I get this idea across in the simplest way possible that I that I believe can have impact for people, right? I would, because it can really serve if people can get it. So I, it's like, I'd never done anything like that. It was a real stretch, right? But it's who I become or who I became in the process to be able to, to deliver that. Mm. So and it's, he, sorry. it's the, it's no, it's the growth. It's the growth part of it. And it's, and so for, for, again, for whoever's listening, it's keeping an open mind. It's, a willing, it's an openness and a willingness and a curiosity that, that becomes part of this whole package of exploring and, and engaging with life in such a way that you co-create with life. You get to design your life as opposed to feel like it's happening to you.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's so great. And do you struggle with anything anymore when it comes to your feelings? Do you think that that's just an ongoing process of life or do you think that it's something that we we can we can master?
1: I do I do think like we get better. I know, i we do get better at it. <laughs> you know, I I've I've hit, I've hit different points of um, of times when I've been sad, you know, and and <clears throat> you know, I, I still have a parent that's uh, alive and, and for her age, doing well, doing very well. And, and, but I know that those, those days are getting shorter. Right. So, so I'm anticipating, you can actually even hear my voice. Mm. I'm anticipating the sadness. Mm. Right. So, but it's not, um, am I going to let myself move into that and be in it? Heck yeah. I'm letting myself do it now, even as I think about it. Mm. So we get better at it by willing to just simply stay present to the feeling itself. Right. And not to shy away from it or realize that we need a little bit of break from it and get help or have other people around or whatever it might be for whatever the issue is. Mm. Uh, And, and we just have to also develop the willingness to ask for help, which to me is also part of emotional strength. So being able to deal with the unpleasant feelings, Plus, being able to ask for help—both of those, for me, are part of my definition of emotional strength. So it's, uh, it, yeah. So we we do get better at it, and because we know it's not going to, for the most part, it's not going to bowl us over. And I've been through, I've been through intense periods of grief before. I already know what that feels like. So it, so it's like, okay, if if I have to go through another one, then I'll go through another one. Um, so and but it's going in. It's like I already know, I already know what this is like. Um, so it but it's the the willingness then to stay present to the experience
0: Mm, yeah and i'd like to just touch on something that you just said um then as well you also talk about we are always seeking a fuller expression of ourselves and Mm. i remember i think it was on clubhouse where i asked you do you think that everybody actually does seek a fuller expression of themselves because I think that sometimes there are I'd like to talk about the people around us is where this is going Um, and how the people around us help us to have that emotional strength uh, and also support us to be able to work through those feelings etc like do you have any thoughts or see any relation to the people that we surround ourselves with as to how we develop in this area of our lives?
1: Well, I, yeah. I mean, I think if you're around a lot of people where there's a lot of negativity, it's going to pull you back Yeah. if, if you allow yourself to be influenced in that way. But if you allow your internal guide to kind of be in charge, then, then even those people are not going to um, stop you from the things that you want to pursue. Uh, but I think there's a a deeper level question there. here's, And I'm not sure if I'm gonna take us off path or not. So pull me back. You can go anywhere you like. (laughs) Well, pull me back if I start to do that. People who are in survival mode are not gonna be thinking, um, right? Or they are gonna be thinking in a certain way. How can this be better, right? But it's not from the standpoint of flourishing. It's not from the standpoint of thriving. It's from the standpoint of having achieving a sense of stability, right? So if I don't have food, I don't have friends, I don't have finances, I don't have shelter, right? And maybe one or two other really big things like that, then life is going to be a a bit more of a strain. So, so the first step is I just want to get to the level where I have a sense of stability, right? Once people have that on a more consistent basis. I think m- m- most of us, it's, I think it's a life experience, frankly, that yes, that we do want to, we want to go after something, right? And, and you know, I've heard many people say, well, I achieve these big goals, except I want more. Yes, of course you want more because, because you're ready for the next thing, right? Because life is seeking a free or full expression. Again, I, I defer to Mary for that. Mm. Um, she was the one that kind of first. It's like it's because I was trying to understand how come I was that I you know I would reach a certain level, and I go no, no no no, but there there's more to life, right? Well, because that's how that's how life works. Life life wants to well, life wants to have more of itself, mm. and and so. So that it, when, when you are an expression of life and you're pursuing the things that you love and you reach that, that particular level you were, you were after, then you might stay there for a little bit, enjoy it. And then you're going to go, okay, what's next? Right? It's like, I'm ready for, I'm ready for the next thing to grow me. Yeah. And, and, and that's, but that's what life is. It's the next growth thing too. It's enjoying what you achieved. And then it's like, The the next, there's you're always going to desire as long as again you 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 have your general health, you have the things that keep life in a more stable manner. Then there's a part of you I think that will always seek greater growth.
0: And we'll be able to seek greater growth with more ease if we master the eight things
1: in ninety seconds. Absolutely, (laughs) if you're willing to deal with the unpleasant feelings, then you're golden. Yeah, Oh, so good there's nothing that's going to stop you. Yeah. Yeah. What's the worst that's going to happen? You'll experience one or more of the eight feelings. Okay. Next. (laughs) Keep going.
0: (laughs) I love, I love it. Like I said to you earlier, it just seems so
1: simple. It seems so simple. It is. is. (laughs) You know, I, what I, what dawned on me at this is recent actually, what dawned on me in terms of what the nature of my work is about, I, it comes down to four words. If you deal with the unpleasant feelings, it's you become emotionally liberated. Hmm. And if you develop the skills, then communication is a skill. If you develop the skill to speak up with ease, then what you have a, what you have available to you is limitless opportunity. That's so great, right? So, and again, I can I can relate stories from my own life to to convey that. Mm. Even even taking the risk to do the TED talk, right? It ended up in circumstances where I met with a producer. The producer invited. I did the TED talk. An agent saw the the TED talk while she was on the subway in New York. Uh, that led to a book proposal the book proposal led to a book the book propo- the book led to quad kit right limitless opportunity i don't know where it's going next right so so one one ask one goal and the willingness to pursue it opens everything up why? Because I'm willing to deal with the emotional, that's the emotional liberation part of it. Mm. And because I'm willing to set either to make a statement or, or make an ask. Both of those lead to limitless opportunity. And with those
0: things that you wanted to do before it all happened, like, did you kind of think, oh, I'd love to like, oh, so yeah. they were kind of like, you had that,
1: yeah, that yeah. happened, uh, that easily happened uh, a good four years after I first started to think about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and the book was 10 years. So I first started writing the book in 2009, and it didn't wow. get published until, and actually, it was, it was uh, three days ago. It was 2012. Uh, it was two twelve. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry about that. It was uh two years ago. So the book is just out two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, but it's, it, it comes from being willing to get in there to do it. So my thing is the whole approach, forwards, emotionally liberated, limitless opportunity. Who wouldn't want that?
0: Who wouldn't want that? Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who would <laughs> not want that? <laughs> Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Thank you so much for sharing. I absolutely love your research and your thought process around it. And, yeah, I just I'm so passionate about Limitless Opportunities for myself, for my kids, for my listeners. I'm just like it's there for us. We just have to be willing to, like, go after it and pursue it and take it. And it's not that it's easy. It's not that it'll be handed to us. But if we don't pursue it, it'll never be a reality.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And speaking up is a big piece of this. So,
0: no, I love that. So good. Well, thank you so much for being on the
1: podcast today. It's a treat, an absolute treat. I had a great time.
0: Oh, so good! Now we're going to have all your links in the show notes, but you know, my 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 listeners are running. They're walking the dog. They're in the car. Where's the best place that you like to connect with people? Where should they go?
1: Well, I would say two places. I would say uh, my website, drjohnrosenberg.com. I've got a lot of stuff there, and then the other is I'm on social media, and probably the one I'm on the most frequently is Instagram. Okay, so that's a if people want to reach out through, uh, particularly go direct message or something like that, that would be uh, a way to go there.
0: Yeah, amazing.
1: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.
0: And Clubhouse now as well.
1: Clubhouse, yes. All the places.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to you running your regular room if that's something that you do end up doing on Clubhouse. Yeah. If you need yeah. any help just facilitating and just for moral support, just hit I, me up. I'm more I than will. happy to do that.
1: Okay. All right. I, I, I got that. we Will do.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you yeah. so much. And I can't wait to share this with my listeners as well.
1: Likewise. Thanks so much.
0: Oh my gosh, how many gems, how many gems. I can tell you now we will be repurposing this, <laughs> this episode with quotes and audiograms and videos because there was so much in there and it was just so good. And the other thing is that you can actually watch the video if you go to the show notes page, which will be suzechadwick.com forward slash pod 146 and you'll be able to see all of jones links there as well so you can grab a book you can watch the ted talk you can watch the video to this interview plus you'll get the show notes there as well Oh, I hope that you enjoyed that because can I tell you, uh, being doing the interview with her was amazing, editing this podcast episode and re-listening to it and really like cutting out the different snippets that I really want to share even more with you. I've just loved it. I've just loved it. And I cannot wait for you to listen to this maybe more than once. Maybe you need to listen to it more than once, that you have the opportunity for unlimited success in your life if you're willing to just take that leap of faith and know that you're going to have those unpleasant feelings but that you are totally capable of working through them and so I'm excited for me I'm excited for you because I hope that you really use this episode and you get so much out of it I think this is probably one of my favorite episodes I just have to tell you that. Well, that's it for another week. It has been amazing to have you here as always. And remember to follow me on all socials at Suze Chadwick. But thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then I would love you to leave a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with us every week. The music to this podcast was created by Ixen on SoundCloud. Until next time, have an awesome week and make sure you keep playing big and branding bold.